Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Avengers with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of, you guessed it, Box Office Ventures. Matt, who, I guess it's not even what are we reviewing. This this episode, we're doing another, pretty much another creator spotlight. Who are we reviewing this week? Uh, yes, we are doing a creator spotlight on Ava DuVernay. And so, you know, when we do a creator spotlight, we're taking a week off. And when we do week, when we have a week off. We like to throw in some knowledge. We have to give you some knowledge, Ernesto. We're about to drop a lot of knowledge <laughs> on the Are you, person. You, you're about to drop it, Matt. <laughs> We're about to drop some knowledge for sure. Uh, yeah, and actually, uh, Ernesto, you really wanted to do this director, Ava DuVernay, for a while yes. now. I've been begging for this. You've been time. begging. You have. Begging. And it's it's almost – but you know what's really strange is that after watching – because oh, and by the way, um, we are going to be reviewing uh, Selma which is directed by Avery DuVernay, written by Paul Webb, and the mini, the film miniseries When They See Us, when they see us which uh, was created and directed by Avery DuVernay. But what's very fitting is how <clears throat> both of these pieces of work are just very relevant to our, like, natural environment. Like, yes. you know, with you know, the U.S. Pres- presidential election going on. That little thing. <clears throat> and pri- primarily Selma, a, a film, you know, focusing on Martin Luther King and the march from Selma to Washington. And um, it's it's all that whole movie is about the right about the right to vote. So. Right. So it's almost like, you know, we've been talking about it. We've been wanting to do it. But I feel like we were just waiting for this time. It just fell into place for it. It did. It fell into place. It. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and we're, we're going to talk about more about this later on, but you absolutely are. When I started Selma, I did not know that that movie was going to be heavily involved about, you know, equal rights. And well, I, I knew about equal rights, but like voting rights specifically. Yeah. And that's the part that I was like, oh, wow, this is very relevant. At the time of us recording, you know, the elections very, I think I'm not sure by the time we post this, I think we might know. We might have, uh, you know, the election might not be as prominent as, as at, at that time. But right now, it's very prominent. And, we're, you know, we're still awaiting the results. And uh, it's it's days very after. <laughs> days after. Yes. So it's still it's surprising how uh, relevant this viewing is uh, that we're doing it, like you were saying. So, yeah, uh, very. Uh, and we're going to dive into all of that later on in the show. Um, but, yes. <clears throat> so let's let's start. Ava. Duvernay, Ava Marie Duvernay, was born on August 24th, 1972. She's an African-American director, writer, and producer. So we're about to go into, uh, kind of learn a little bit about her, how she got started into the, <clears throat> excuse me, into the film world, and how she got involved with directing multiple films and documentaries, 
We're going to review someone when they see us, and then we're going to give you a heads up on other future projects that she might be working on. <clears throat> so Ava went to UCLA, where she double majored in English literature and African-American studies, which based on her career, Ernesto, that sounds very fitting that those exactly. were her two majors. And, you know, she is a writer and she has done a lot of African-American centric films. Uh, so I guess she used her her degree to good use when making these films. And she did not go for filmmaking. Yeah, it was it was it was totally for that. Uh, early in her career, she was interested in journalism after she was influenced by her internship with CBS News. She was assigned to get this. She was assigned to help cover the O.J. Simpson murder trial. Oh, jeez. So imagine you started out your internship and like, hey, you're going to we're going to pair you off with a reporter or whoever. And you guys are going to be covering the O.J. Simpson case. So like, oh, OK. All right. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, not a bad way to start out your internship. After getting disappointed with journalism, actually, she decided to move her fo focus into public relations, where she worked as a junior publicist at 20th Century Fox, later opened up her own public relations firm, the DuVernay Agency, in 1999. Throughout her agency, she provided marketing and PR services to the entertainment and lifestyle industry working on campaigns for movies and television shows such as Spy Kids, Shrek 2, The Terminal, The Terminal and Dream War. Um, wow. And Dream Girls, Terminal and Dream Girls. And um, so, yeah, and that's just a few of them. She has worked awesome. for many, many and she, you know, campaigned for many of those films before she even got into filmmaking. So she was definitely involved with the entertainment industry long before she even got into it. I, I would say maybe about six years worth of, you know, being a PR rep for them before she even started directing her first film. Yeah. That's so crazy. That's so, so crazy to see how her journey like started in journalism into public relations. And then that, but it, it's all, but it, but when you hear her, how her story played out, like, it makes sense. Like, oh, she met yeah. some people from the industry. She got interested in film. And then one thing, you know, you get connected with the right people. You know, they obviously saw her creative eye. And, you know, where you see, you can see how much care she puts in throughout her work. Um, so I, it doesn't surprise me that, that that it ended up the way that it, that it did. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And then even as we, you know, go on to talk about it, like, you can see pieces of like things that either influenced her or how she got here. And we'll explain more about this right now. Uh, so in 2005, DuVernay was like, you know what? I want to make a movie and decided to take $6,000 of her own money to make her first film, a short film called Saturday Night Life. It's a 12 minute short film was based on her mother's experiences and was about an uplifting trip by a struggling single mother and her three kids to a local Los Angeles discount grocery store. So the film toured the festival circuit and was broadcasted on February 6, 2007, as part of Showtime's Black Filmmakers Showcase. After her short film, she wanted to venture into the world of documentaries. Uh, so she figured <clears throat> documentaries can be done on a smaller budget compared to trying to making a featured film. Uh, so by doing so, she could also learn more about the trade and filmmaking in the process. So she figured 
that you know what I want to do I want to go more into it but I don't have the resources or the money to do it so it's like let me just dive into the world of documentary instead of trying to go after a film so kind of working her way up and then she's like you know yes. what if I if I do documentaries then I'll learn on the way which is crazy to think about it like she was that motivated to be like I want to do something I don't know what I want to do but then if I do this I can probably most likely learn and then based on other experiences yeah like learning how to shoot and do all that stuff she's like that's just that's just techniques I need to learn to to put out my vision. Like, like she's obviously always been, she's very big picture, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in 2007, she would direct her second short film, Compton in C Minor. Uh, the bio reads, frustrated by negative portrayals of the inner city, director Ava DuVernay challenged herself to capture Compton in only two hours and present whatever she found. So, and then the results touched on everything from unemployment to entrepreneurship from graphic to, I'm sorry, from graffiti to pride of ownership. The short documentary ends with an inspiring spectacle that will cause you to rethink your stereotypes of this community. Interesting. So, that sounds good. yeah. So she was like, you know what? I'm going to go run around the city for two hours and then I'm going to give you you know, basically my findings and kind of grab the heart and soul of the city that is often viewed negatively. Mm. <clears throat> so uh, with that, uh, I, and also I think that's a great way to learn in general, even if you weren't doing it as a documentary sake, just, and if you're looking like to learn your craft and Ernesto, I know, I know you're working on it every day. So like, mm. you know, you, you as a photographer, you know, kind of going into the city and just taking photos yeah, and then you can definitely learn a thing or two just by spending two hours in a city. So that's how you learn. You just throw yourself in the fire and you kind of just learn on the learn on the grind, you know, pick it up as you go. Absolutely. And that's basically what she did here. Um, so in 2008, so that, you know, I think I don't think that went anywhere, uh, but she did learn and continue with documenting. Um, and so in 2008, 2008, she wrote and directed her first feature length documentary film called This Is The Life. It's a hip-hop documentary that explores the chronicles of the Good Life MCs, the alternative music movement they developed, and their worldwide influence on the art form. So she, she took her only two shorts to actually get to a feature-length film. Uh, so she took that. So in 2011, she would make her jump into featured uh, feature-length film and write and direct her very first one called I Will Follow. It's about the chronicles of a day in a life of a grieving woman and her 12 visitors to help her move forward. Uh, DuVernay's aunt uh, was the inspiration for this film. And the film would cost about $50,000 and only took her 12, uh, 14 days to make. The film will be given high praise at the, F, at the AFI Fest, the Pan-African Film Festival, and the Chicago International Film Festival. Shortly after the festival run, Ava would waste no time in producing and begin production on her second narrative film, Middle of Nowhere, Ava had originally written and written the script back in 2003. So now we're in 2011, but she could not get it financed until this point. So she, it was always like a script she had in the back burner. Uh, the yeah. film follows a woman named Ruby and her husband who is sentenced to eight years in prison. Uh, she would drop out of medical school in order to focus on her husband's well-being while he's incarcerated, leading her to a journey of self-discovery in the process. And Ernesto, you said you saw this movie. Yeah, well, and this is was my first introduction to her. I had to do mm. a pa I had to do a paper on her. They gave us they gave us film class. They gave us a list of directors, 
they said, all right, you know, you have these films picked from here. It's based on what was available. And I, I was like, oh, you know, Avery DuVernay, that's, that sounds good. I, you know, that sounds like it'd be good, man. And this is what really opened me up to her as a creator. Like she just, she's, she's great. Just the way she crafts her story, the, her cinematography. And I, and actually I think the way she ties the music and the score into what's happening like she's very good at at mixing sound and cinematography to heighten the mood that's mm. that, that's real i especially like in when they see us in summer like you you really see it in the get impacted in those films yeah i had not seen this film um but uh i know you were giving it high praise when we were doing our recognizing black cinema um and you that was one of the ones you picked and uh, you said it was really good, so I, I do remember yeah. that when we were doing it. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, well, the film will go on, uh, the middle of nowhere, will go on to premiere at the 2012 Sundance Film Festival, in which won the U.S. Directing Award uh, in a dramatic film. She would be the first African-American woman to win that award. Uh, the film would also win Best Independent Film and Screenplay at the African-American Film Critics Association. So after the success of her second film in 2014, she would take the reins of a film that was already in the works, replace director Lee Daniels, and direct her third featured film, Selma, that followed the chronicles of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s campaign to secure equal voting rights via an epic march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama in 1965. And so now we have come to the point that we will be reviewing Selma. And so, Ernesto, what were your initial thoughts? So you've all had already seen her work prior, and I I have not. So, like, going into Selma, were you expecting anything? And then what are your thoughts on the, on the movie? Um, well, first of all, this is – this. I had seen her previous work. I've, you know, I've also I've seen other stuff from her first. This is the first time I've actually seen this movie. Mm, okay. And, and I guess due to my, how much I paid attention in American history, I didn't realize, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, like, as far as like not knowing like the full extent of the story, like I felt like it was unfolding. A lot of it was unfolding to me as I was watching it. Mm. Um, I thought it was emotional. Like I loved it. Very powerful. Um, I had very similar feelings when I watched Just Mercy. Um, we were kind of talking about earlier how fitting it was that for us to be watching this, like specifically during election time. So I thought that was, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, great cast. Um, I loved seeing um, the. Oh man, let me get the actor's name. The guy who played Martin Luther King. I thought he was great. Yeah, I know he was absolutely fantastic. I believe his name is David. And the last name is I'm gonna try. I think is O O E Lo O O E Lo O. And I and I could be. I mean, you, I you, don't know, you, man. All right. <laughs> For the I, sake, that, I'm just I'm just glad that you tried. And yeah. I did. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. We're gonna call him, you know, David from now on because I don't want to butcher his last name anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um. I actually I saw. Um, I didn't even realize that he was in, he's actually, he's previously was in middle of nowhere. Oh, really? This okay. wasn't, this wasn't his, um, his first. So this actually wasn't his first project with her. Um, I thought he was, I thought he did great. I love seeing, um, listening to the speeches and I have a, Dr. King has a special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, in middle, actually in middle school, 
um, I had to learn that I have a dream speech and I had to oh, really I had to perform. I had to get a suit and tie. I had to learn the speech and I had to do it in front of everybody and, and like not in his voice, but like kind of in his voice. <laughs> and now, no, please. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> oh, man. About to say, I was about to say, do you have video of that? I would love to see that. Uh, I, I mean, when you're saying that speech, you have to like you have to get motivated, right? I have a dream. <laughs> That's all you get. That's all you're getting, Matthew. That's all you're getting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, what was really the a scene that was really jarring to me was that church bombing scene. I guess it was a church where the four little girls and they were just walking. And like, out of, it was just, it was just so out of nowhere. There's just so like, I, I, it's such a weird thing to say, but I love the way she set it up. Because she set up such an innocent scene. Like, you know, these girls are just going about their day. Right. And if you look, if you really look at it, it happens very fast, like the explosion. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, like you can actually, they actually show, like you show the girl getting blown up and blown off to the side. Like yeah. you see the flames hit her and everything. Like that was just such a, oh. And, and, to, a and to your point, work. like there was only one scene before that in the movie. Yeah, this like, is like five minutes in. <laughs> yeah, we're five minutes in. The film, you know, the film started off with Dr. King and his wife having a conversation about all the dreams they wish to have in the future. And yeah. so, like, I think it's kind of ironic that, you know, you know, you we know obviously the events of, you know, Martin Luther King. He does get murdered later in his life. I believe it was seven years after this march, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong in the timeline, but I think I remember at the end of the movie they kind of said like, after this, it, it, you know, he he died in seven years later. And so, but like, you know, so you're seeing him talk to his wife and like, these are the dreams I wish to have. And then it instantly cuts to these four women, four girls just walking down the stairs. Uh, Dr. King was killed April 4th, 1968. So I'm sorry. So three years, three years after, not even seven. Yeah. Cause the, uh, the March in Alabama was 1965. So three years after that. So, you know, he's, so he's preparing for his next venture. He's talking about his dreams in the future. And then. And then you, know, you see these, you know, these four girls walking down the stairs. And, and to me, it was jarring because I wasn't expect, especially like a movie like this. I wasn't expecting an explosion and especially yeah. not how this scene presented itself. It just looks like we were going to I don't know where we were going, but I wasn't expecting anything that devastating to happen. Like maybe we would have seen them, you know, coming from uh, Martin Luther King rally or, you know, they're on their way to or they're leaving school. Like it seemed like you're saying so innocent. Yes. And, I, and I think that was the point. It was supposed to grab you earlier on that this is devastating to happen. Like maybe we would have seen, you know, from uh, Martin Luther King rally or, you know, they're on their way to or they're leaving school. Like it seemed like you're saying so innocent. And, yes. and, I, and I think that was the point. It was supposed to grab you earlier on that this is a serious issue and a problem here in this town. Some Something that I think she does very well is um... – like she brings you, she's very intimate with her characters. Like she has a, she has a tendency to bring like, like she, a lot of her emotion comes from that, those one-on-one moments with all her characters. But like, like you, she could have just shown like the girls, like you could have just did a wide shot outside, some girls walking into a building and the building being exploded like that. You could have shot in that a hundred different ways, Absolutely. but like the way she did it, it was just very effective. And how she did it, like it clearly got the message across that look, these girls, they didn't do anything. 
They weren't doing anything, just going apart every day, trying to live their life, and then boom, they're dead. Yeah. Just for being black. And and not to say that like you know I I started this movie and you know it, you know a movie takes a while for you like you to you get invested you know you Correct. take the first fifteen minutes you might be looking at him like oh okay all right we're we're getting the movie going <laughs> or you know you might look at your phone real quick and you're like yeah all right you know right, I I get where we're going like we're we're getting the mood okay I'll I'll look at my phone on Facebook and it's like boom I'm like I'm sorry what happened like you got my attention I'm sorry I'm sorry I looked at my phone I didn't mean yeah. to I didn't mean to <laughs> Ava uh, said pay attention bitch. Pay t- <laughs> <laughs> Also, um, I mean, I got a bunch of stuff, but um, I like that certain points of the film, you get the FBI letterhead. It was almost like a reminder. Hey, we were ta- we were actively tapping his house and we, mm-hmm. were, we were we were actively watching him. Right. So just to have to have those like official documents like put in there, those letterheads like it. I thought that was a nice little touch in there. Like it just added another layer of like in his mindset of man. I mean, imagine being somebody who has so much influence pre-social media. This is pre-social right. media, and he has the attention of the nation. Absolutely. And then, oh, and not only that, you have the government watching you and listening yeah. to everything you're doing, and not even including all all the death threats and whatnot. Um, I loved the little mini arc with the cameo with from Lakeith Stanfield. There's oh, actually yes. so Lakeith Stanfield's cameo, little mini arc. And also uh, Jeremy Strong. I didn't realize Jeremy Strong was in this movie. Um, he had, a, even though he had a very small role, it was still very. And same thing with Lakeith Stanfield. It was very significant to the story. Like it oh, was absolutely. very, very moving. Like, like that scene when he's in the when he's in the diner after they're running. Like you can just see the fear. He's such a great actor. Like he God. Is. <laughs> man, like you just see like the fear in his face, and like they're trying to resist, and they beat him, and the cops just walk up. Just shoot him, and they literally just walk away, like no, like oh yeah, it's cool. He's he's dead now. Like I just right. shot him, and that and, and, and that was okay, and that was accepted behavior. Then and, and like obviously you know, and it's not like they were expecting. Oh, now you're gonna go into a trial. Nope, it's just it just was. Like we did a thing. Nobody cares. Let's move on. And, and that was also a very intense moment because that was the time where Martin Luther King was in 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 jail. Uh, yep. Like just for like a couple of days and the community decided to go on a nightly march that was getting attention that they're like, you know, what, let's stronghold them. Let's see what let's see what happens when you try to, you know, organize without your leader there. See how that how far that would get you. And because he wasn't there, they, you know, the police decided to take brutal force. And this movie was not shy away. If, if you didn't get it from the explosion at the beginning of the movie, you got it with these beatings. Like they showed the you sounds mm-hmm. like they really, like they, they really took the time to make. So you heard that, like what it feels like you could almost feel it. Like the Billy club hitting, cracking against somebody's skull like that. I mean, when they beat, they beat Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> they, yeah, they did. How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> Do they know who she is? <laughs> She's Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and then to your point, like you can, you feel the fear as they run into that diner and go to an empty table, and he's like, just, just looks like, you're, just looks like you're reading the menu. Just make it look like yeah. you're reading the menu. And like you, you under, and like, and I didn't know where the film was going. Oh, I mean, to some degree, but I thought that they were gonna walk in there, maybe yell, like, hey, what, what are you doing here? Like, you, have you seen anybody running here? And then, but no, they like. I felt like it took another jarring direction 
where they instantly walked in, knew who 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 were in that that march or in that, that I guess the protest, and then instantly beat both the father, the mother, and then killed the son, which was the uh, Lakeith uh, Seinfeld. And so yeah, it was it was it was rough to see that, and especially now he's. I feel like he's more of a lead now, but back in 2014, I don't think he was. I think he was up and coming. Yeah, I think this is like him, like working his way. Like we look back now, we appreciate his performance. But like when you watch that movie, if you didn't really know him, he would just be like, oh, you know, what's that guy? He was in that small part of the movie. Man, he was really good. Like, yeah, I w- that's when you would start like recognizing his face. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know he was in this movie either. Actually, it wasn't until because I, I I got this movie from the library. And um, I, he was like, when, you know, like the DVD menu, like before you mm-hmm. press play, he was one yeah. of the first faces I saw. I'm like, oh, look, look who's in this movie. Look who's uh, here. <laughs> oh, and then like later on, like, oh, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I don't want you to be in the movie anymore. <laughs> no. Um, also, I, I liked at the end. Also, I liked the guy who played Lyndon B. Johnson. I thought he did a really great. I just thought him. Like he just felt very believable as, yeah. you know, like I, like, I, I don't know. I just thought, I thought he did a great job. And when he's talking to the governor of Alabama and he's like, well, you know, when he, ba- this is like him basically telling him that he's going to pass that act. And that's what um, allows them to be able to vote without any restrictions. Right. He's like, I, I don't want to go down in, in history as somebody like you. Yeah, you know, I thought that was a really cool part of it. I thought that was a really cool part of the film. And, and also, that was a good story arc for him as well, because yeah. because in the beginning of the movie, Dr. King talks to him he's like, hey, this needs to happen. He's like, you know what? This seems like a problem for next year. This is not a big problem now. And then, you know, he goes in and, you know, the, you are talking about the president, correct? Yeah. 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 So, like, yeah, Dr. King talks to him and he's like, yeah, you know what? I, I have a lot of the other things going on. I know this is a prime focus for you dr king but for me i got other things to worry about so we're gonna you know we're gonna you know we're gonna put this aside and then obviously when everything was happening he knew he could not do that any longer and this needed to happen now exactly and so we um and so yeah i i really enjoyed that scene i also liked uh you know going before even before you know dr king talked when when oprah was there and, you know, we kind of got the tension of her trying to vote at the very beginning of the film as well. Yes. Like you you can see that she was already nervous writing her name on a piece of paper that I didn't know exactly she was writing her name on just yet. And so, like, she's like slowly writing it down, being careful. And and you know why? Because as soon as she brought it to, uh, I guess, whoever was in charge of, like, you know, passing the papers along um she they were like really drilling her on making sure that everything was perfect uh and then they then started questioning her about how how well do you know uh our our constitution like are you serious asking her about everything yeah who's who knows the names of all the county judges not definitely not me i don't even know i was surprised i was surprised that she even knew if she knew any of that information, but I guess with, during that time, if you have to go through that, you just look at it like, all right, this is just, this is just something that I have to do. Like I right. just have to do it. Like I already know this is obviously not my first time. Like I'm ready for whatever crazy questions they're going to ask me. 
it's almost like another trial and error. Like, obviously, she was being very careful what she was writing down. And then they started asking her questions. So then she comes back with answers to some of those questions. And then they threw her another curveball. And she's like, I, you know, I, you know, damn well, I don't know every judge's name. Like, all right, denied. And you can tell, like, like obviously nothing was being being treated fairly in that town, in that city. Uh, and that was yeah. and they, I think they made that point very clear uh, within, you know, I mean, just I mean, hell, the first three scenes, you know, the the explosion, Oprah and then Dr. King talking to the president all right there back to back, kind of establishing that things are, you know, are not right here. Yeah. All right. Let me see what else I got. I got um, I, I thought it was interesting that they focused on his infidelity with his wife. Like they made that a point to show like like almost like he was a person like everybody else who makes mistakes and things happen um but they i guess they use that as a as a way to kind of silence him and to kind of keep him back a little bit because that led to the first march when they went without him because he said no i have to stay at home Mm -hmm. he had to he had to take care of he had to take care of those things at home i also liked the way they shot the first march i thought it was beautifully shot um you they like you were like the slow-mo of them running away it almost felt like you were in the crowd with them you know slowing down the moments like when you see the guys get it um he got hit with the whip like you're like oh shit like you could feel it like you hear the crack of the whip and slow-mo hit him right in the back and, and they were on horses yes they were on horseback like they were ready for the un un speakable like you know that was obviously not needed whatsoever yeah. and what i found interesting is like obviously there were three marches that took place then the first one that you're referring to the crowd filled up the sidewalk yep they like filled up one side of the sidewalk and so and then and that was a, like a, a small amount of people compared to the other two tries we see later in the film but i i just noticed that you know they were all on the sidewalk and then they were brutally uh, you know, they were, they were hit and I don't think anybody died if I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm not, I could be wrong on that, but I don't think the film showed that anybody dying from that incident. Um, but, but that, you know, again, the brutality, like she made it known to like, you hear it, you see it. And also it was on, on, as bad as that moment was, it was a point that now the nation sees that this is a problem. It got yep. everyone's attention that, you know, what is going on here in some Alabama is not, is not justice. It's not, yeah. not even close. And so as it's kind of one of those situations where everything happens for a reason. And so this one was able for them to get national attention that they needed to be basically for the nation to be awakened to the situations that are happening here. Yeah. And I and I thought I I I really liked the way she picked like certain not not necessarily like key players in the movie, but she picked like certain people who had um, they had impact on it, but they weren't at the very forefront. And she gave them little cameo mini arcs, like you see mm -hmm. one with Jer kind of we talked about it a little bit, like you see one with Jeremy Strong. That led to his death. You see the one with Lakeith Stanfield. And they didn't really focus on her character character as much. But there was one girl during the riots. Her and her husband are watching it. And then, you know, she come later she comes to the march. And then later on, they see a little, they give her a little 
uh, plate, and they give her a little title card yeah. about how she died. They show they're literally showing video of her, and it's like she died three hours from this video, taking um, people back from the marches when she was attacked by the KKK members. It's like that's, that's crazy. Crazy. It's like what you just gonna drop that on us like that? Like if you just think it's just like a can't like a just a, like an extra, just you know passing the scene by. But she no, she took the time. To even in that moment to give you more knowledge that you didn't even know you were getting and then smacks you with it at the end of the movie. Absolutely. And and this was a white woman. And so like the, I think she wanted to showcase that even people of all color were not were getting, you know, I guess murdered for yeah. for for what was happening. It wasn't just in black people. It was also the people who were helping uh, black people as well. So like I think that was I think that was just a small arc she wanted to showcase and I think you know it also packed a punch when you know we were getting those little title cards throughout. Yeah. Um <clears throat> yeah and so with with I feel like the marches themselves were very impactful because obviously the first one but then the second one Dr Dr King was involved you know it got recognized through all of the the nation people from around the country were driving and getting their way over to um to the to selma to do this march again and so like now you have a large community on your side and they filled up half of the road like one side of the road that group of people filled up so we went from a sidewalk to half the road and so they get there and then dr king kneels then he gets back up and he's like you know what um, we're not going to do this today. And if, you know, I, I, I feel like if I was in that, if I was in that situation, understandably, so I think I'd be a little bit aggravated as well. Yeah. I'd be mad too. But you know, he had a, he had a Akbar from star Wars moment. He's like, it's a trap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, we should not be doing this, like, but then this also, right. <laughs> absolutely. And then, and then that led to him, I guess, doing it in the right channels. Yeah. Like he was able to, I think they approved the march. They allowed him to do it. And they were like the second time they, they gave, like they cleared way, but he knew that probably later down the line, they're just going to pick him off group by group. Yeah. Uh, but I think as the movie went on, he was able to like the judge gave them freedom to walk. And the president was, is putting the equal voting rights on the forefront. So with all that being considered, then, you know, they felt like now is the right time. There's some sort of progress being made. It doesn't look like we're going into the trap. And the third time they attempt the march, which was the successful one, they they filled up both sides of the street. They had more people than ever going along this march. And so I thought it was really I thought like cinematography wise, as well as like seeing this progress, we went from a sidewalk to a side of the road to now taking over both sides of the street. It's almost like we are coming together now to officially do this march. And so I felt like there was a lot of points there that, you know, and we were also along this journey. We felt, you know, Dr. King with these struggles and not only him. And I, what I also liked about the movie was that they, like you were saying earlier, they didn't really focus on him. They did focus on him a lot, but not just him. I feel like they gave, we got moments from a lot of people that was in his inner circle and we were able to understand from different viewpoints, this entire situation. So it was not, it was not a movie about him specifically. 
even though he was definitely the leader and, and a prime focus of this movie, but it was about the situation at hand. Yeah, definitely. And and so, yeah, I, I ultimately I really enjoyed the movie, I, I think, compared to like as a whole, like I thought it was. And the only fault that I can give the movie that I thought it was powerful, but mm-hmm. not emotional. And I feel like there were some parts where I like because they were focusing on a scene and they were bouncing around to different people. There were some emotional moments, but the, I wasn't felt I didn't feel overwhelmed like as for the movie as a whole, if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, I get it. I mean, I think me and you, we kind of talked about this before the show, like just narratively and like structurally comparing it to like a movie like Just Mercy. Right. Like it's like, whereas that is, and that is a story of an individual and you're in, you're, you're living the day to day with, well, really those two characters, but it's very, it's much more intimate because it's, it's such a, it's such a self-contained story. Right. Whereas this is the story of the movement that right. just happens to be centered around Martin Luther King Jr. I, I get what you mean, but I, I, I don't know. There, there, to me, there are some pretty strong emotional moments for me, um, particularly with, you know, Dr. King, when, when he's talking to his wife, Coretta, and, you know, when they're talking about him not being faithful and just like them just, and then them kind of opening up about their fears. Like, I felt like that was like a very, that, that was a very real moment. And mm-hmm. I think, and, and I don't, don't quote me, I don't know exactly, but if they, if they have knowledge of the wiretaps, if that information is easy access, like I'm assuming is how much of that is verbatim from the wiretaps. And if they have, and if, I mean, this, and this is me under the assumption if they have access or not, I, I don't know off the top of my head, right. but you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, them trying to get in her, Ava trying to get into the mindset of Dr. King's like, Oh, what was it like at his house? Like, like, yeah, you know, he did all these great things. What was it like when he went home? Like, what right. what is it like to be that kind of person of power and to go home and to have to live with that? I mean, imagine being going home. Oh, you know, today was rough. All these protesters, people who want to kill all my people. Oh, hun, we got 15 death threats today. And I had a man, I had a man verbally describe how he was going to murder and maim our children. Right. That's and yeah. make and make and make us watch doing it like that. Like. I couldn't I could not imagine my wife telling me that like, oh, yeah, some guy left a voice message and he he um described to me how he was going to kill all of our children, our innocent children. And it's like, who like who are these monsters that who would do these to people just because you think that they're inferior than them? So I I do see what you mean, but I do. But I do appreciate where the emotional moments that she could input into the film, because, I mean, it's not a documentary, but it's like it, it is. It's almost like a dramatized documentary. Yeah, for the most part. History. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, I and I and I liked it. I, I think that there was, uh, like I said, a lot of big moments and there was a lot of things to enjoy and, and, and like really focus on this movie. And this was uh, and, and for me, at, at of, out of anything, it was a learning experience, as with most. I feel like most of her movies at least documentaries, obviously, but like Selma specifically, like this is a this is a, a part of history I didn't particularly know very well, and so by watching this movie and the way that she presented the film, 
I feel like I have a better understanding of what it was going on in this time in 1965. And so, like, agree. yeah. And so, um, so I, I got a couple of fun facts for you, Ernesto. Not much, but I got some, I got some. Uh, so during uh, her summer vacations, when she was a little girl, uh, she would travel uh, to her childhood home with her father, which was not far from Selma, Alabama. Uh, DuVernay said that these summers, that those summers influenced her in in the making of Selma, uh, as her father witnessed the 1965 Selma to Montgomery marches. So, that is crazy. So she, you know, she knew she was very familiar with the area, and she had her father there to kind of probably give her some insight on some of the things that were going on at the time. Of what it was, of what it was like, and maybe that's where the film shines because the best thing about that that film is the atmosphere that she created. It felt like it literally felt like I was looking into a window of history. Like I didn't not at one, at no point did I feel like, Oh, like, you know, like, you know, how sometimes you see something and it pulls you out. Right. You know, you get, you get pulled out at not, at not at one point in this film and really in any of her work do that. I felt transported out of the story. So I really I, think, I, she, I, yeah, She's very well at setting at re- like really creating the atmosphere. Yeah, I, I do agree with you on that. I, I did. I wasn't pulled out of the movie at all. I was definitely involved. And, and part of it was because I feel like we were, you know, learning about not only Dr. King and what he was doing, but other people. And so because you were getting different perspectives is is why you were able to kind of get us, you know, when you see that line of people walking and leading that march, you know, a little bit about every person in the front line. So yeah. therefore, there is there is some weight to be had when you're like, oh, OK, you know, these people all have their own you know, stories that that brought them to this point, And now we're going to see them fulfill their next journey. And I mean, they had a lot of title cards throughout the end of that movie, too. So obviously they did point uh, the focus on a lot of figures that help, I guess, influence and, you know, make this march happen. Yeah. Um, also, uh, on, a, on a budget wise, this mil- this film cost about twenty million dollars. Uh, this was the largest DuVernay had ever done at this point in, in her career. So she went from you know a couple of thousand dollars to now I'm dealing with millions uh, with a big budget movie like this. Um, well, they they saw that she could be trusted as a creative with that amount of money, and to put it to a very effective use. And it's I mean, it's a great movie. Absolutely. Anything else you want to add before I continue? Oh, oh, wait. One thing. It's the best part. It's the best part uh, of the movie. I love. That was like so good. It's the song "Glory." Um, I'm just a sucker for John Legend. So <laughs> John Legend, good. And I, when and, that came on, I, I was like, "Oh Lord, John Legend, <laughs> <soothe> my soul." <laughs> I feel like I've heard that song before, but it's a really good song, and it definitely complements the film very well. Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And you know, it gets a you get rap, you get a couple rap verses from Common, who's who's mm-hmm. also in the film as well. Yes, yeah. So I thought that was a nice touch too. Um, I, I feel like he does that a lot though. Like Com- Common does, like I feel like if he's involved in a movie, he'll like, oh, you want me to do a song too? Like, no, that's just I'll do a song. Don't worry about it. Like, let me just let me just spit a track for this film. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he was a he was a rapper. He was a known rapper before he dipped into the acting game. He just, he I think he's, I, but it seems. And I could be wrong because I don't follow his career that closely, but it seems to be he's more um, successful 
acting than he is rapping. But his rapping is his rapping is not bad. I just think that maybe he focuses more on his acting career. I I I think I agree with that. I am also not following his career, but I I think I, I think you're right on that. Um. So yeah. So the film would go on to receive critical acclaim, but also some backlash. Ava made uncredited rewrites to most of the original screenplay uh, from the screen uh, screenwriter Paul Webb, in which she received no on-screen credit for her rewrites, which from other uh, – I was reading another article and said it was about 90% of the film she rewrote. Really? So it's yeah. almost like he didn't write the film. He almost like – he just inspired like – Well, well this, this film was not – originally her she took on the project so a, a different oh, okay. director was on it so like they already started the process and other actors were put on in different roles of the film but then uh i believe lee daniels was his name uh let me go back here for a second um lee yeah lee daniels had was originally put on the project he had i believe he had hugh jackman as the president and there was, uh, I, so I think Lee, uh, Liam Neeson was also involved in the project. But once Lee Daniels left, he uh, and Ava DuVernay took over. Uh, she kind of like, you know what, all these nice, nice actors, you're gonna go away now. I don't want you here in my movie. Um, which you know, like, and for in turn, that could have made the movie a little bit better. At least the story that she wanted to tell. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so that's so interesting. It's like you come in, it's like, all right, we've already started this. We got a thing going. Uh, yeah, I'm going to change everything. (laughs) (laughs) I I was kind of wondering where they were in the, like in maybe, maybe they were early in pre-production. She was, she was able to make those calls. They couldn't have been in filming at this point. That's true. Yeah, that's true. They had to be in pre-production. Uh, the only, exactly. Uh, the only person she actually kept from the original, uh, casting was, was David who played Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, that's a, if obviously that that was a that would have been an obvious choice because he was he was like born for that he was literally born for that role. oh yeah was, absolutely. i thought he was great and also it was uh i think i also read that he more or less campaigned for the role for a very long time to the director lee daniels he's like i want to be this i want to be this i want to be this and he proved himself then to get the role and then when, you know, no longer the director, but Avery DuVernay saw his talents and kept him on. So he persevered. And that obviously showed when they flipped directors. Um, but, yeah, so apparently she did a lot of writing for this film, a lot of rewrites. But they still gave Paul Webb the, the writing credit, um, which I don't know why. But I guess he was the initial screenwriter of this film. Um uh, she did this because she wanted to emphasize King and the people of Selma as central figures, exactly what we were talking about earlier. So I guess she felt that Paul Webb's script did not do that the way she wanted to. So she just kind of did a whole rewrite for the most part. Well, I'm glad because that to me, as I wrote down, like to me, that's one of the strongest parts of the film. Yeah, that's really I feel like that's what really sets it apart as a like as a true like narrative like instead of like instead of just retelling us the facts right you know very very it was very intimate of that but i mean it sucks that she didn't get writing credit but i'm glad that she still made the effort to do the rewrites because exactly she obviously should believe in the project oh absolutely and you obviously it shows in the movie itself yeah. um in response to the criticism 
by some historians and media sources who accused her of uh, irresponsibly rewriting history to portray her own agenda. DuVernay said that the film is not a documentary. I am not a historian. I am a storyteller. Yeah, and that's what we did. She told the story. She told the story, and I thought it was told very well. Um, The film, however would be nominated for Best Picture and for Best Original Song at the 2014 Academy Awards, but not for Best Director. The lack of a diversity among the Oscar nominations for 2014 was the subject of much press. Obviously, this was around the time, I believe, the, the phrase was Oscars so white, and there was mm. not a lot of uh, black nominations where they felt like it was due. And so obviously, throughout the course of years, they've been changing that. Um, and so the film would win one award, one Academy Award for Best Original Song titled Glory by John Legend and Common, what we were talking about. So that won an Academy Award. Um, DuVernay said that she didn't expect to be nominated uh, as director. Uh, so the admission did not bother her as much. But she was disappointed that actor David, who portrayed Dr. King, was not nominated as Best Actor. And I totally agree with that. Yeah, I I don't I don't know what he went up against, but I he would 100 percent at least deserves a nomination. Absolutely. Um, and she was basically going on to say that, you know, these are obstacles of people of cover, people of color. Uh, you know, this is just the things that we face and kind of going along with the Oscars. So white, you know, more people of color and, and need to be nominated for these roles like that, especially when it was deserved. And I was actually shocked when, cause I was looking up the, her, his IMDb. I'm like, he must've received an Oscar nom for this. This was like his performance in that movie was incredible. Like he, yeah, he, he was Dr. King. Uh, so I was, I was surprised he was not nominated because I, if I were to saw, if I would have saw this movie back in 2014, I'm like, this guy, this guy's getting a nom easy. Yeah. Matt, I don't know if you get emotional in movies like this, but did you cry? I I did not cry, no. Oh, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man, I, but I cried during Just Mercy, too. Movies like this just really touch, I don't know, they just touch my soul. I don't know. They hit me, they hit me in the right spot. Like, sometimes, like, Just Mercy made me boohoo cry, but this this one, this one, I, sh- I shed a couple tears. Well, I and, and like I was saying, I, I think you kind of nailed it on the head. So this, since this was focusing on, I, I, there were sad moments and emotional moments, but I didn't feel like emotional for the overall film, and not to the point that I was in tears. But Just Mercy, on the other hand, I mean, I don't think I boohoo cried, but I definitely teared I up a little cry. bit. It was because <laughs> it was focusing it. <laughs> on that one man story, and like Jamie Foxx yeah. did an incredible job in that movie as well. Correct. Um, so yeah, so as we move on from Summer, in July of 2016, the New York Film Festival would make a surprise announcement that Ava DuVernay would premiere her documentary feature, six, uh, I'm sorry, 13th, in which she directed and produced with Netflix. The documentary takes an in-depth look at the prison system in the United States and how it reveals the nation's history of racial inequality. The film was titled the third, uh, the, the film titled the uh, 13th was after the 13th Amendment, which outlawed slavery. The documentary would go on to receive critical acclaim and receive a nomination at the 2017 Academy Awards for Best Documentary Feature. Although it did not win the award, Ava DuVernay would be the first black woman to be nominated at the Academy 
as a director in a feature category. So, yeah, she's breaking records. Uh, say that again, I didn't, I didn't quite hear you. No, I was saying she's breaking records. She's breaking records. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. She's, you know, she's set. She's set in the bar. Have you seen the Thirteenth Amendment? I have not. And I know you said you saw it, right? It is scary. It is a scary, scary documentary. Like just, just the content, just everything that everything that they encompass. It's been a long, It's been a while since I've seen it. I say I saw it. When did it come out? Twenty sixteen. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, so it's been a couple of years since I've seen it, but it's it's great. Like as we were getting ready for it, if I had time, the little mini little mini thing they did after when they see us, I really man, I, I I wanted to try to rewatch it for this for our show this week, but couldn't get around to it. But if anybody can go watch, has time to go watch that, highly highly recommend it. Yeah, I heard nothing but great things about that documentary. So even, I mean, right now I'm, I'm involved very much into her career. So that might, that might be something I might watch on my uh, on my off time. I'd be curious to see what you think after you. I mean, yeah, I'd be curious to see your thoughts after you watch it. Yeah, it, it seems. I, I remember, uh, you know, when back a couple months ago when the Black Lives Movement was very heavy, uh, Black Lives Matter, and a lot of people were watching content. And even when we featured in our uh, recognizing black cinema um, on our Instagram page, they I saw her posting a lot of people watching that documentary and, and learning more about the system. So I can I can only imagine that that just being something very uh, not not jarring, but like like it'll probably open your eyes to a lot of things that are happening. Uh, jar that's a good word for it. Jarring is a very good word for it. Uh, so shortly after. Uh, she did the documentary, the 13th or 13th. Uh, she would serve as an executive producer of the drama series Queen Sugar, which premiered on the Oprah Winfrey Network in September of 2016. She wrote and directed a few of the first. Uh, she wrote and directed the first couple of episodes of the first season. Uh, the series is actually still on the air, uh, just being renewed for its fifth season. So, oh, wow. so she's still producing a show after all these other things she's been doing. <clears throat> that we've been talking about so far. Uh, DuVernay would then go back to the big screen and direct Disney's A Wrinkle in Time, she, in which she would be the first black woman to direct a live-action film with a budget of over $100 million, and the second woman to do so after Patty Jenkins uh, did it when she directed Wonder Woman. The, the film, however, would receive mixed reviews, as critics taking issue with the film's heavy use of CGI and numerous plot holes while celebrating its message of female empowerment and diversity. Now, Ernesto, I had, I mean, the misfortune, I guess, of watching this film. Damn, misfortune? <laughs> in the theater. I saw this movie in the theater. And uh-huh. I, it was not good. It, <laughs> it, was, it was not good. Um, I, I felt like... That and this is just my especially looking at down her line of work. She, for the most part, she has written and directed and had full control of mostly everything she's done up until this point. Mm. And you know, when you work with Disney, they don't give you much creative control. <laughs> like, well, we're gonna give you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think overall, I the I, I blame. 
I believe Disney had their fingers all over it, and I also blame the script because I do agree. It was heavy CGI, and it was a lot of plot holes, and there were a lot of characters, and a lot of it didn't make much sense. Mm. So it's a very similar – it sounds very similar similar to Artemis Fowl. Uh, yeah, but I would say I would go back and watch – I would go back and watch A Wrinkle in Time. Maybe I might have missed a few things. Like I would give Wrinkle in Time a second look, especially after going down Ava DuVernay's category of, you know, of, you know going down her, her, her career. But I would not go back and rewatch Artemis Fowl. See, but, see, but I feel like if, if you were to go back and watch A Wrinkle in Time, you would watch it and be more forgiving and try to fig- – and almost like try to figure out what she tried to do with what she was given. Fair enough. And, and before that, that was my first introduction to her as a director because I had not seen her previous work until then. So so I, 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 I didn't like it. And it was at the time where MoviePass was a thing. And <laughs> good, so old I was, good old MoviePass. And so I was like, you know what? This, this is a movie I haven't seen yet. And I'm just going to go walk my way into a little MoviePass. I got a couple hours before work. We go catch this movie and I was like, ooh, oh no. No, this 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 is not good. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I felt like I don't blame her for this movie at all. I don't think like I think, you know, I, I really have to go back and rewatch it. And I was and I've had more time, I think I might have, to kind of give a, a more perspective. But uh, I, I think the what the critics were saying, you know, celebrating its message on female empowerment and diversity. I, I get that because the family was a racial family. Um, and so and it had a lot to do about family, definitely geared to children. Um, but the places they went of like fantasy and wonder was not necessary. And it was a hunt for this this little girl to find her father in like this this, you know, uh, I don't know, through time and space. Winfrey was in it. And that was and a Mindy, big... Mindy Collin was in it, too. Right. Yeah. And Reese Witherspoon. They played. I honestly, I don't even know what they were. Maybe they were beings, magical beings of sorts. From the trailer, they look like some sort of fairy godmother-like creatures. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, with Ava DuVernay's involvement, that probably got uh, Oprah Winfrey to be involved because she was already working with her. Uh, you know, she worked with her Selma. in Selma. She worked with her. Obviously, the show Sugar Queen premiered on her network. So I bet that was a big get. And so I think the message was there, but the execution was just poorly done. And that's obviously a big sign to, I believe, Disney having their hands all over it and probably making the movie that they want. And, you know, Ava DuVernay was just there to put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wish I would have loved to see her if she would have had writing credit and have more creative control. Then I would love to see what she would have done with that movie. But obviously that was not the case. Um, So, yeah. So after her time with Disney, uh, from there, she would go on and partner with Netflix yet again to produce, to write and direct a four part miniseries called When They See Us, which premiered on Netflix in May of 2019. It follows the true story of five teenagers from Harlem who became who become trapped in a nightmare when they're falsely accused of a brutal, brutal attack. In Central Park. Now, Ernesto, I, I want you to. I've already seen this. And I know it was it was my it was my idea to get you to watch this. So I I want you to go. I actually want you to go first. No, I want you I, to I want you to unload on me because this no, is no, your I, first introduction. Yes. 
And 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 I and I will go first, but I, I just want to say that you have mentioned for me to watch this many many times on this very podcast. It's almost like you know we you really got to see this. You really got to see this. And it's like all right, if we do a creator spotlight, then you're definitely gonna see this. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this a thing. <laughs> yeah. And so now I finally watched it, and the best for me, if I can describe this this series in one word, it's heartbreaking. This. This this series is heartbreaking, and I think after everything we've said about Ava DuVernay so far, it embodies and encapsulates everything, probably the best parts of everything she's done so far, into this four-part miniseries. You know, it's we the see pinnacle of her work. Absolutely, I think this is the height of what she's done so far, based on everything that I've been reading about her and all the things I've been watching so far. You know, especially her knowledge with the uh, judicial system and how life is in the prison uh, prison system and the, and the inequality, the racial equality within that system. And then you go on and then also, you know how to form a documentary tale. You've, you've taken, you know, true events in Selma and you put it onto the screen, all of that. And now, and also your relationship with Netflix, with the other documentaries. So like with all that taking place, she she gave us a story that like i i know you said bring the waterworks but really i mean before i get to it episode four is what really got me i told you episode <laughs> told four you. Was, was the hard one to watch um but that's a gut punch <laughs> oh that was they talk about save the save the best for last oh man they so they totally did that and so this this series is it's it's eye opening, it, yeah. uh, if anything. That you know the movie the, the the show starts off with a couple of kids having fun and ultimately they were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. They they weren't doing anything. They were so they were kind of bundled up with a different crowd that were, I guess in some cases maybe what beating up people for fun. Is is they that were what wild? Wild. They were wild. So they were you know they're going out in the park. They're just messing with people. Just like. You know, causing a ruckus. Right. Know, beat. And then, you know, that obviously you see that some people, you know, one of them takes it too far and starts beating up. You beat up one one person. Like the first episode was all about, you know, the incident and their interrogation, which I thought right. was beautifully done. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And like you can feel like even even through the perspective of the of the woman who was putting all the pieces together. And like she, you saw that she was like, you know, you can see her doing her job. They were I didn't expect to be introduced to this series with like a crime investigation. And honestly, I thought that this is what the series was about, was centered around this this situation that happened in Central Park when there was a woman who was brutally you know, attacked and raped in Central Park. And the you know, the. Police were kind of putting these these children involved in this, even though obviously they were not involved with anything, any of this whatsoever. And like you just see this woman kind of putting pieces together. And there was a point where I was like, okay, she's doing her job. I understand that people were in the park. uh, A brutal attack happened in the park. You're trying to investigate people that were there. I put two and two together there. The part where I was like, this is not okay was when 
they started interrogating them, and you saw the detectives, like, basically building this story. And I think the movie did, like, a, a not a 180, but you saw the turn. And they were, like, bouncing back and forth when all these kids were being told, like, did you rape this woman? Did you did you attack this woman? And they're like, what woman? What are you talking about? What, what what's tell, going on? Tell here? us about the lady. Tell us about the lady. Yeah, and they're like, what what's what's going on here? And then like you can see like like even in their faces, like kudos to the kids, they did a fantastic job, um, acting. Yeah, and like the, and you can even tell like their faces change from like I don't know why I'm here to like wait, why am I here? What what's going on here? And they were interrogated for almost 40 was it 48 hours it was it was i think yeah. it was a long time it was at least they they've mentioned there was different times they've mentioned throughout the series but i think over a consensus it was like at least two to at least a couple days right. no food you know and no food like what what is the hell is that about like yeah like, i i seen them like like refugees i don't understand that and there was a lot of understanding it was almost like like you had very little evidence to go off of, literally no evidence to go off of. And they were just like, they were just taking these kids because as the title says, when they see us, they were just, all they did was fit a profile that somebody else imagined. Not, not, not a profile of the attacker, not a profile by anybody who said this. It was just because they just happened to be there and they were captured uh and put into this into the into the system well they saw them and they they just they they had already made up their mind when they had already saw them right exactly like oh they're definitely involved in this and honestly these they could have babies been... yes these were babies 14 <laughs> these little kids 15, 16. little little kids i just couldn't imagine yelling i uh, i just i mean i wonder what it would to be in the mindset of those people there and to be like to be there like you know what this seems right we're gonna right. we're gonna we're gonna force these on these kids when clearly we're telling them the story that we want them to tell and like to even to like make to blatantly show like like how they would like no 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 it, this this is not the right person this is who you're supposed to say and like you know having the kids like mess up like showing them messing right. up and like tripping over the their all their conflicting statements Duh, it was it was it was, it was disgusting it's i mean yeah. it's to see that kind of play out and like you you just there i i feel like the whole time i was just like just shaking my head i'm like are you serious like is this appropriate no this is absolutely not appropriate none of this makes any sense or even what was your motive just because your 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 you know your leader said that this was what you this is what was you're supposed to like i don't think she she never even told him to do that it was she, took, she gave them an inch and they took a mile. Oh, absolutely. And then she's like, oh, they're just doing their job. They, they Look, they connected the story together by yelling at all these kids and was like, so it was this, right? It was it was Kevin, right? It was it was it was Ronald, right? It was it was this person, right? And you're like, uh, I don't even know these people. Now, question for you. When you were watching this, did you do any research prior to watching the film? I knew nothing about I knew nothing about the situation. OK. Because I rewatching it for me, just something I picked up from the very beginning. Like when you first see, um, I actually I'm gonna get his name because the guy who played Corey Wise was fucking incredible. Like his performance, Jarrell, Jarrell Jerome. Like when you first see him, like do you think do you when you first see him do you think like damn, 
this is going to be a very trap. Like, you know, it's going to be sad, but I feel like me watching it the second time, I looked at him and I was like, this is like such a tragic beginning for him. What, for, what, which part? Because already knowing, I'm just saying like the first time I see him, like the first frame that I saw, him, oh, I, see. I was like, I was like, man, this is like such a tragic, you have like the most tragic story out of all of them. And you weren't even, you like, you were literally only there to go help your friend. Yeah. Like, that's just like, it was just, maybe it was more like pointing out, like for me on a rewatch, it was harder for me to, it was more impactful to see him the first time, as opposed to like, oh, I'm, this is me introducing a character. And like, you looking at him then, if you already know the story, it's like, it's so heartbreaking to see like where they, to where they started and just to everything that trans, obviously that transpired afterwards. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't get that moment, obviously, because this is the first time I was watching it, but I, there was a sense of, I didn't, I, I, I think that one of the good things about me watching this was that I didn't know anything about the story and I didn't know where it was going. And so there was a moment like, oh, I thought we were going to be talking about the investigation for this whole series. Oh, we're done with that. Oh, they're already in trial. Okay. Uh, now that the, the series will start with the trial, like it would just be the rest of the trial. It was only an episode. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, oh, wow. So they were all found guilty at the end of the second episode. So I was like, oh, okay moving along very yeah. quickly here and i'm like i'm and honestly like i literally because I, I there was a break between my viewing and so mm -hmm. after the second episode i was like and i think I, I continue watching the next day i'm like where do we go from here <laughs> i was like honestly because that's that's what i thought the story was about yeah. I, I i didn't like i was shocked when they said guilty i'm like really they like the other side didn't present that good evidence <laughs> i was and i think that was and i think that was the point like the first yeah. two episodes are literally a setup for all well i mean it's obviously the main thing that happened but right. it's it's a preamble to all the shit that happens afterwards yeah absolutely and it, it again it was just one of those moments where i again was shaking my head i was very disappointed and like disgusted of how things were going in the interrogation and then when the second episode started, it said like six months later. And I was like, wow, we, we fast forward six months now and we're already in this trial. And without realizing it, I, you know, obviously the movie was fast forwarding itself uh, progressively, which I didn't, I didn't really pick up on until honestly to the end of the episode and like, end, end of the, end of the, the end of the third episode. I'm like, all right, so we are, we're not, we're not just following the kids. We are following them through the entire process. Uh, which I was unaware that that's what we were doing because, again, when the third episode started, I even wrote in my notes, is it, wow, look how much they've grown since yeah. then. <laughs> and, like, we see them, like, at the end of the second episode, they said that they are, um, you know, that they were guilty and they, I mean, even the trial, the trial was also hard to watch as well because you know that they're providing good evidence. We see them all getting their different lawyers and they were trying their best and they, they provided great evidence, you know, to against their case. And the only and the biggest thing that was against them was that was the was the tapes that that the detectives had them record within that 48 hour time. But I think I think it's important to recognize and it's, this is not an excuse, but it's important to recognize that these are these people are looking at videotapes. This is pre-Internet. So yeah. like. You know, a lot of people, even, you know, 
they kind of have an idea now, but people back then didn't have any, they didn't have, they had concepts of editing, but not like heavy editing like that. You know what I mean? Like they didn't, you know, they didn't think, they probably didn't think about it like that. They're like, oh, like, right. if, you know, they have a very, you think if the police as the, in the state are showing you something, you almost have the initial assumption that, oh, what I'm presented must be true. And that's obviously not the way to think. Like, you know, you're, you're, right. you're supposed to be innocent until you're proven guilty. But I guarantee, I mean, if you were to ask anybody, most people have that bias. Well, not anymore. But, you know, initially people would have that bias where they would just believe any, like a police officer is presented to them. You know, you know, they don't think that, why would they lie to me? Like, they're obviously right. just trying to find out who did this person. You don't see them as these nefarious characters who are trying to, you know, just get, just trying to get a conviction on these kids. Right. And so and I guess when you as a juror, you know, as as a jury, you see the tapes and like, oh, well, they said it. So it must it must be true. It must be true. Yeah, it exactly. must be true. And obviously, you know, and I think what's the important thing about this series is that from beginning to end, we were getting the perspective of the five kids, these five later men, you know, grow up to be these men. So these five, you know, individuals, it's through their perspective their perspective through and through it is. And so like we, we got the preamble, we got, we see them feeling scared and worried and not sure what to say. We weren't getting it through news articles and the press and everything. We were getting it through the eyes of them. Yeah. And I, and so we knew from the beginning that they were innocent. Like they, they were, they weren't trying to figure out, are they, are they not? This wasn't a, a, a trial series of like, did they actually do what they said they didn't do? It was like, we know we didn't do it because we saw them not do it. It was also interesting. I, I liked how they shot the court episode. It was very, it was like hopeful almost. Uh, yes. Like, like, you know, you, like you go like, damn, like, yeah. Like you get a couple of happy moments. Like they literally, she literally sets it up to make you feel like, like, like they're going to be exonerated. Like they were going to be exonerated then. Like the whole right. thing, oh, it was just a mix up. Like you guys are going to be free to go. And especially how they let it drag at the end when they show Corey's conviction and they, you know, they trip you up in the beginning when you, when the first two convictions are not guilty, but then the other ones are guilty. Right. And just, man, just that, that, that whole, that whole episode is great. And then, uh, all right. What did, what did you think about uh, episode three? Episode three, uh, again, I was shocked that we kind of made, not not we kind of just moved past the while that while they were in prison, at least for mm-hmm. four of the uh, for the for the uh, the kids. Like I thought that all right, I guess we're gonna you know see their time in jail, and we basically saw their first maybe weeks or months in jail. Um, we didn't see a lot. We saw them through like uh, visits from family. Like, hey, how are things going? Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm surviving. I'm getting through. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And the next time we see them is uh, like a, a great transition of them getting out. And I didn't realize that that's where the series was going. And then they showcase, which was another huge point about this whole process. And I know I know I knew a little bit of it for me watching Orange is the New Black. They kind of mm-hmm. touched upon a lot of these issues. Um, but life after prison and how hard it is to get your life in order once, especially that they were kids, they didn't yeah. have, you know, they, they weren't able to even start their own lives. So obviously the first thing you do is go back to your family and you can tell with a lot of these people that, that 
things are different. You know, families are different. Remarried, you know, they had their own lives while you were in prison. And then now you have to adjust to not only life outside of it, but also with your new families. And then you can see them trying to get a job. And that was difficult. And and he's like, well, how can I get a job if I'm checking boxes to yes to all these different things? Obviously, they're not going to hire me. Like, yeah, and he can't even he can't even work. And then like I like how she took the time to kind of lay out like situationally like how some of our laws are are set up. Mm-hmm. It's like oh like here we're gonna go, this guy's gonna go to the daughter the, the diner with his PO and we're gonna explain to you guys how hard like situationally how hard it is for a fe- somebody a convicted felon who served this time has been reintroduced into society how hard it is for them to try to even gain some semblance of a life like, Oh, you can, you can never talk to him. Your job has to be finished by nine o'clock. That doesn't work out. You're just going to have to find another job. Right. And you like, could have taken no, months there's to no, get that there's, job. Exactly. There's no like, like there's no like leeway or working with like taking an individual case by case. Like how are you just going to set a standard for everybody? Everybody's, everybody's situation is different. Absolutely. You know, not granted, not making like, you know, they obviously they they this is under the assumption that they were viewing him as a convicted as like a as like as a violent sex offender. Right. So uh, yeah. so I understand that. But it's like it's hard for us to look at them, treat them this way when everybody looks at them as guilty, when you know as a viewer that they're innocent. So you feel for them on the on that emotional level because it's like, damn, like they didn't even do anything. And he he has to suffer the consequence, these really, really harsh consequences that, that, you know, it's hard for any of them to do. And actually a lot of that gets touched, some of that she touches upon in the 13th Amendment as well. You know, like the whole, the whole right being, you know, we've seen that overturned now in some states where the whole, you know, the right to vote, mm-hmm. um, when you can register to vote once you pay your court fees after you've been in prison. But those court fees are, you know, very high. And obviously you, that's not the sure. first thing. That's not the first thing you're trying to, to accomplish when you're – as soon as you get out of prison, like, oh, well, once my court fees are all good, that's the first thing I'm going to start paying for so I can vote. People need to live. Yeah, and that's that's very – and it's interesting because then that's almost connected to the message she was trying to portray in Selma mm-hmm. where – you know, about them putting restrictions on voting. When you put – you know, you put restrictions on voters, then you're, you're silencing – the voices of the people who live in that area and Absolutely. they don't get to have a, they don't get to have a say on how their community is set up. And, and I think that was, you know, that was told very well in, in Selma. And like, as we, as we were saying earlier, there was a comparison to stuff that was happening today mm-hmm. of that. I wasn't expecting to get that type of material when I started this movie. So now like, here's some here, basically here's a history lesson of like, things are not as, easy as it is to just go there and vote there's still a lot of problems today that you know dr king was able to pave the way for you know back in the 1960s that i mean hell we're still dealing with it some of it today of people who can't vote and and even showcases the you know all the hardships that went into just so people can vote so their their voice can be heard um it's important she she definitely sets that message across throughout her films and is the importance of, you know, and it's not even like, oh, at least in my opinion, it's not like overly political. Like obviously she touches on a lot of heavy 
themes as far as like police brutality and mm-hmm. you know the they treated them but it, it felt very it didn't felt it didn't feel like somebody was shoving a message in my face right kind of I- like like here's i'm gonna lay out the situation to you and i want you to take that information with you as you as you want like you can take that and you can process information and you see how you feel after i've told you this true story of what happened to these kids yeah i think that was well said because i never felt like she was trying to obviously there was a message but not an agenda um and but yes, like that, I, I, I think that's the best mm-hmm. word for it yeah and, and so like you you're able to like yeah, I felt like that all of these, the things that the messages she was trying to tell, I was able to come up with that more or less. I was able to form my own opinions on that and not, you know, like you were saying, get it shoved down your throat. And I do appreciate her for for putting those in her in her in her work and documentaries and, and movies and, and such. But with, um, you know, going back to third episode, I, I think the biggest thing was like, you know, them, you know, these you know, you're growing up within the prison system and then coming, trying to come out of it is not an easy thing to do. And I think that was the the biggest thing to come out of episode three. Um, And then episode four was, was the big one. They, you know, you're growing up within the prison system and then coming, trying to come out of it is not an easy thing to do. And I think that was the, the biggest thing to come out of episode three. Um, and then episode four was was the big one. They, that was the gut punch. That was the gut punch. It, it focused, which I wasn't expecting because I did notice that I was like, oh, okay, we're not we're, because each in episode three they focus on four, four of them, and not the fifth. And so I'm like, oh, okay, so we're gonna, um, I guess we weren't we we're gonna you know save. Hit, you know, you know, for covering four people is a lot of, you know, a lot of time. And so I guess I was just expecting that we were going to get, uh, you know, maybe a, a similar version for his story. And and then we would move on with the rest of the of the show. Um, but that's not what happened at all. You know, Corey Wise was the only person that was convicted as an adult and not as a child. And I think that was a big thing to come out of it. And even watching, there was a, a documentary, not a documentary, there was a special uh, that's available on Netflix uh, that was, you know, available to watch after you watch When They See Us. And it was them, you know, talking about the show, Ava DuVernay and the actors, and as well as they talked about the five, uh, the men, the exonerated five, um, and talk about their experience. And the biggest thing that I saw that, um, that kind of, for me, that came out of it was that one thing that Ava made sure while collaborating with all the men was that she wanted to tell their own unique stories. And I believe she did that very well. But all the men agreed that Corey's story was different and they wanted to make sure that his story specifically was told and not bundled together with the rest of them. Because I felt like not to say that they were all dealing with the same thing, but I felt like they were all in a similar situation that their stories were more or less the same. But when he was convicted as an adult, that was when, you know, he was going through something completely different. And I like, go ahead. No, I was just, just to add, like he was definitely dealt the shittiest hand. Absolutely. And, and a person who wasn't supposed to be there. Correct. And that even he wasn't even he was just supposed to be there for support for Yusuf. Right. And and also they uh, they weren't even looking for him. He's like, you want to join your friend? 
Like he he doesn't fit the bill, but you can come and join if you want. And you know, that's it's just heartbreaking that like in order for them to get the narrative, detectives to get the narratives that they wanted, they took somebody that wasn't even that wasn't even being questioned. It wasn't being interrogated. I I believe he was in some sort of waiting room. Yeah, he was just sleeping in the waiting room, and he woke him up. And like that doesn't draw any red flags to you to anybody. That's again heartbreaking to see them yeah. being taken advantage like that. And so the, 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 the episode starts off with like kind of reiterating that he was guilty and man, do you get a play by more or less a play by play by play of his journey within the prison system. Now we weren't even getting that with the other four men. We didn't yeah. see, we didn't get in depth look on, you know, how they were treated. We just know for, for the most part. Yeah, well, I I feel like it wasn't their granted their prison time was obviously a, a major part the the major part of their journey because they were incarcerated for mm-hmm. a crime they didn't commit. But what I felt like their hardships weren't I guess primarily in jail. It was for them. It was having to be reacclimated in the society and having to deal with that. Raymond, you know, he couldn't get a job, so he ended up dealing drugs, and then he he had to deal with his stepmom and having mm-hmm. being introduced into that environment and not necessarily being the most welcoming for him. You have, um, let's see, it was Kevin. Kevin could also, I guess Kevin's was, was his issue was with his dad. Wasn't his dad. No, that was, that that Kevin? Was, that was Antron. Antron. That was Antron McCray. Mm-hmm. That's right. So Antron, his issue was, you know, he's living with his parents. He's, you know, he's trying to save up to better his life and, and then, you know, that he had that girlfriend who was weird. <laughs> it was like, it was like, you don't ever take me out. But granted, she yeah. like, oh, she like knew his history, but right. like getting on him for, for wanting to better his life. I mean, exactly. I get it. You know, she's a normal girl. She's like trying to be understanding about his situation, but she I guess understand. she wasn't, I guess she didn't realize what she was signing herself up for. I guess mm-hmm. that's kind of what it seems like, you right. know, he's trying to, he's trying to do something and better himself. I guess Yusef was the main one that, act, like, once he went to prison, like he, he, li- he lived the, he went on his path, and that's what, him, yeah, going, you know, yeah, he, he focused on religion throughout the correct. process, yeah, he became, he became a Muslim, had ten kids, <laughs> yeah, I know, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to say anyone had it any easier, but obviously, I feel like his head was very focused on on the one task to maybe get yeah. him through it the easiest at least that how the story was portrayed anyway yeah but Corey. yeah i think i think the double whammy from him was the fact that his mom like he had a bunch of family issues at home that also was affecting him with his brother being transgender and having to come come out as that and dealing the, with his mom played by Nisi Nash, who also did a phenomenal, I think she was mm-hmm. phenomenal. She, she did a she great did. job in that series. Um, having to deal with that and she overcoming, you know, her having to overcome her drug addiction and them not having the resources for her to come all the way out there. Also, I mean, the whole thing with him being transferred to all those different prisons and the hopes of trying to get closer. And every time he actually ended up getting further and further away to worse and each prison was almost like worse than the other. Like for the most part. For the most part. It wasn't until I guess the last one he went to 
when he met up with the um, when he met up with that uh, the guy who actually committed who ironically he met up with who ironically committed the murder. Right. Um, well, with him twice. Yes. I know I kind of jumped around. I kind of jumped yeah, around yeah. a little bit there, but like like Cora definitely had it the hardest. And oh yeah. I think compounded with his issues at home and being thrown into the situation is what caused him to to really he really felt the repercussions of all that because he didn't have that support to for anyone to come see him plus all the things that were happening to him in jail yeah it, it was rough especially in the scenes when he was in uh in solitary like yeah. you can see that he is mentally going insane and like he's just trying anyway he knew that he needed to be there because if he didn't then people would just kind of beat him up and he was he was more or less at least how the uh, the series portrayed it he was almost at the brink of death twice for how bad they were beating him up at different at the different prisons and like you can tell that one police officer was like he was he was his only lifeline to giving him hope he was the only person at the time that was giving him a sliver of a chance of like to live or just to think about something you know he gave him like hey man here here's here's a magazine to read you know here's um I think he gave step him by step, he gave him step by step instructions on how to play solitaire. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, here's something to keep you busy. Like, here's this, here's that. And then it's like, all right, I got a job for you. You know, here, here's a Chia pet, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's like, and then also the AC went out. And so like, they were just, he was butt ass naked like, <laughs> the whole time yeah. for the most part. It was like, I can't deal with clothes right now. And like, you can tell that he gave, like the officer gave him the decency of like, Hey man, here's some, here's like some soap and a toothbrush, like clean yourself up a little bit. You have your parole hearing. Like he, what he, he was like, were dehumanizing him. He was like, he was treating him as a human, as a person. Yeah. Like you are, you know, yeah, you, you are convicted with all of these crimes allegedly at the time. Um, you know, but I'm I'm not going to treat you like you're an animal. You know, you are a human. And then the heartbreaking thing at that point was like he 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 had that he had that moment with his mother. He's like I'm gonna, I'm going to try to get there closer. I'm going to ask for another transfer. And he was doing better at that prison. And then because he got to a transfer, he got further away. Yeah. From that prison, and then he got treated worse, way worse. From than where he was dealing both with times. before, both times. I'll yeah. say his yeah. The, when when they showed both transfers, like one was just one transfer was just worse than the other, and then just that one. That, I think that one guard was like the one thing that kept him alive. Mm-hmm. Although the first one, like he was obviously malicious in his own way, but then why did he tell him? I guess they 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 tell them to go into solitary so they can just be out of the way. Yeah, from everybody. I, I, I guess I that think... was the point. He was like, hey, man, you know, if you go to the infirmer, you know, the infirmary, the, the infirmary, yeah, infirmary, yeah, um, you know, then you feel like you're going to tell people. But if you go in solitary, you got no one to talk to. So for I think for him, it was be like it was more or less like you're going to be safe here, but you're going to be sheeted. You know, you're not going to have as many of the amenities and the freedoms as you would if you were not in solitary, but you would be safe. And I think that's what he was trying to get at. Now, what did you think of the choice of having Jarrell Jerome play young Corey and adult Corey? I kind of felt like she did it to 
really hit on that he was a baby throughout this entire process. Yeah, I, I know I was kind of confused because I was expecting like again every every person had that like that transition from childhood to adulthood, and we and we never got it. We got it through, you know, facial hair, mm-hmm. but that was about it. So I think that was an interesting choice. I don't think honestly I wouldn't have minded either way, but it did. Didn't, I mean, even you just saying it, it did hit home that, like, yeah, I guess he was still, you know, a, a ch- I think he ended up serving, I think they said 13 years. I guess, like, it's almost like he never really, it, it almost feels like he never really got to grow up. Because right. you, you stay with, because you still have the image of him as a kid, like, because he's still reliving those moments. Mm-hmm. And I guess yeah, he, was. He, was, he was the only one. I guess maybe because he was the only one like psychologically he was still a kid. Like Mm -hmm. he was with you because he was running with those guys. But like physically, he was physically older. Yeah, I guess to I guess maybe to connect to his spirit, maybe. I mean, I'm kind of spitballing here, but I I just I felt like she did it like it felt like it needed like she did it. There was a purpose for it. It just she doesn't seem like somebody like, oh, I'm just not going to cast anybody like like it seemed like it was very much on purpose because they they made it a point they 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 must have de-aged him in that in the first in the first two episodes. I don't, I don't he, think so. I, I think they just cleaned his face and put him in like they just made him look younger than he yeah, actually was. They did a then kudos to the makeup artist because mm-hmm. they did a real they like you can really tell the difference. Like oh, they yeah, did a really absolutely. good job in the difference of trying to make him look younger. And I guess they're like, all right. Let your beard grow. You can look like a grown man now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, it could have been like, hey, we need you to lose some weight or we need you to, like maybe they were just putting in uh, like heavier clothes, like baggier clothes. Because uh, like true. because when they, you know, when, you know, the transition was started happening, he was like ripped. I'm like, I don't remember you being ripped like, like man, that. Corey? Yeah. <laughs> you got, but you all know. of them. But you know what? All of them, they came out like that. Like they're all yeah. they're all jacked. <laughs> they came well, out of prison like Jack. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it's again, going back to his time in solitary, that, that was for me, that was the heart, that was the gun, that was the gut punch right there. That was, that was hard to watch. Cause again, they, they, you can see that he kept replaying moments in his life where like he could have made a different decision. Yeah. I could, I could have, I could have made that decision instead. I could have said no, or I could have stayed with, with the, this girl that I liked eating dinner. And, like, they even romanticized that and was, like, you know, him going to Coney Island and, like, you know, experiencing the day, you know, being free. And it's, like, here's all, you know, the decisions I wish I didn't make. And while he was in in solitaire. And so, like, it's – man, it was – it was tough. And then – and then uh, what I really appreciated was this was kind of showcased in the the special – um, when they when they were talking with the with the real five men, they were like, you know, he wasn't supposed to be there, but he was also the reason why they were exonerated, because yeah, if, if he wasn't there, these men will probably be convicted for these crimes or accused of these so crimes true. for the rest of their life. And but because that he was in the right prison at the right time, there was a guy who actually committed, he who actually did the attack and did the rape to that woman and was like, and at that moment of his life, he was like, I'm already here for life for doing another horrific crime. I'm here to turn somewhat of a new leaf 
and take ownership for my responsibilities. So I'm going to confess to this crime as well because I got away with it. And then talk about like divine inter like call it what you want coincidence, mm-hmm. faith, the universe, divine intervention. Like what are the fucking odds right. that he meets him? What was it? I don't remember. Was it 2001 when he uh, was mopping? He he. I'm not sure exactly what the date is, but he met him at a different prison. He made him at an earlier prison, mm-hmm. and they got they actually got into a vacation. Yep. And then years years later, at another prison, mm-hmm. they meet up. They meet up again. Yeah. Like what? What are the odds? Like what are the odds that these that specifically these two people? Right. Like, you know, you're you're introduced to the man. Like, oh man, you're the guy who's in jail for me for that for that lady that I killed. Damn. Like you know, and to make him have that way on his conscience right you and know, because if that never would have happened so if Corey never would have put in like and you know it's funny if Corey never would have put in for those transfers even though he had a, he was dealt with such hardship when he went to those different prisons it it wouldn't it he would still be locked up it wouldn't have led to his to all their exonerations absolutely and i don't think the woman was killed i think she was just brutally attacked and, and she you're was right, right. You're right, yeah you're but right. she, she did oh, live right. through that um, but yeah, it just, it's crazy. To, again, the, the series of events that had to take place for that to have worked out to be like, Oh, you know what? And also like he, he could have kept his mouth shut as well. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't have yeah. to confess to those crimes. He could have just been like, you know what? This guy's in here. It sucks for this guy, you know? And like, it was whatever mindset that he was in to be like, he shouldn't be here for the crimes that I committed knowingly. And because I know why you're in here, I think it's time for me to fess up. And then that's kind of where the movie shockingly, you know, came to an end of him confessing to those crimes, presenting all the evidence, matching all the evidence. Like he was put up to a lie detector test. They were able to get DNA samples that matched the scene of the crime. Like it was all there. The story made sense. And, yeah. you know, the I, I believe the 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 woman who even put them there in the first place was like taking that to the end of her day. She knew what she did was wrong, but she didn't care. Yeah. And I believe she lost, I, I think in, in that same Netflix special, they, they mentioned that she lost her license and all of her book deals because yeah, of it as her well. Publisher, her publisher dropped her. This is like the, the, almost like the beginning of, you know, somebody being like deplatformed and take down. Right. But I guess, I mean, it, you have to, you have to you, you reap what you sow, you know. Exactly, exactly, and you know, but it took them. Like, I think they said at the end of the card, it was um, uh, they served anywhere between six to fourteen years. So not everyone, you know, some people were there for a longer period of time. Um, and the in two thousand two, the there were their convictions were vacated or vacated, vacated. So they were exonerated uh, in two thousand two. In two thousand fourteen, so it took them twelve years for the federal judge to award these five men with a settlement of $41 million in which they had to split and pay for all these other court fees and all these other fees that played into it um, before, you know, they got their split ways. And they said in the special that they, um, you know, they, they feel grateful for the money, but that doesn't change anything. That yeah. doesn't change the time lost, the experience they had to deal with. And um, it also doesn't 
I was also said in that special that they never apologized. Like the judge never apologized. No one ever apologized within the police force of what they did. They just like, here's this money. You should be fine now. Yeah. I mean, it's, they, they, this is, um, it's almost like, you know, part of the progression of what le- what led to, you know, people out. I don't even know what's the best. I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. Like, um, like going against the police, I guess right, is the best way right. to say it. Like highlighting these issues. I granted, you know, I don't condone like riot or rioting or looting or any of that kind of shit. Like you're in a protest, that's peacefully protest. That's right. that's a totally that's a totally different thing. I have a lot of respect for police officers, but just like at any other job, there are shitty people who shouldn't be doing the job that they're doing. And that's and that's just not police. That's that's everywhere. That's right. everywhere you work. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And and so I think at the end of all of this, you know, it just kind of opened a lot of people. It said that, you know, the miniseries had been streamed over 23, had it been streamed by over 23 million viewers within the first months of, of within the first month of the release. So obviously it grabbed a lot of people's attention and, you know, made people aware of the situation that's been happening you know, obviously, you know, for, for many years, this this incident took place in 1989 and took place up until, you know, you know, I guess it was more or less resolved, but it wasn't in 2014. But, you know, this is this is only one, I mean, even just mercy highlighted that same issue. We are I feel like we're now getting, you know, content that are putting this in the forefront to become necessary viewing for people to understand that this has been an issue that's been happening for years and it needs to change. And you know, what's, I think is more interesting is that they're making history more entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, realistic, you're watching a drama, you're watching, you're, you're watching a glimpse into history. You're watching a dramatized version, a highly produced over, dramatized version of act of actual historical events. Like, like, you know, how many movies like Just Mercy, Trial of Chicago 7, like, yeah, like, well, you know, this this is the way it should be. People people want information, but they also want to be entertained while they see while they hear this. Right. Information. Yeah. You know, and it, I, it's a great series. It is. And I think another another word to describe it is it was it was a gripping tale, like it really pulled you in. And like, you know, at the very more or less from the very beginning, it was just like you got, you know, it was very a short introduction of these kids before you got, you know, roped into into the situation that they had to deal with, and then we went along this journey with with the four parts. And again, you know, we talked about this many times. This story did not need to be told. It needed to be told in four hour long segments. And it yeah, was, I couldn't imagine I, it as, as like a two hour feature, like right. all that packed in there. And so, like, they really. You know, this was the story that it needed. This this particular story needed to be told within four parts, and it told it, you know, in an impactful, heartbreaking, emotional, and and gripping way that really resonates with you and makes you think about, you know, you know, all the things that either you're doing or how you view things or how you do things. It definitely it's definitely eye opening for sure. And and a lot of these movies that we see, um, you know, we've reviewed a lot of these these kinds of movies, you know, that represents the black community. And, you know, I think each one, it would just, you know, it, it teaches you something that I did not know that was going on in our society. So 
It's crazy. Uh, yeah, it is crazy. Absolutely. Um, I, I thought just another tidbit that Ava said that uh, the original working title was the Central Park Five is what these were called. Or not these the group of men that that's what they were called. By the um, media during, and yeah, right, when exactly. everything was going on. And she insisted the name of the title would be changed because she felt like it was something that had been put on by upon by the media, the prosecutors, by the police. It took away their faces. It took away their families. It took away their beating hearts. Their, it dehumanized them. So she really wanted the title to represent these five men and not what the media was portraying them to be. So that's how she got to the title of When They See Us, which um, I, I think that was a good message to have. She wanted she really thought about every moment and every, every angle that how she wanted to tell the story and took she respected the wishes of the, the of the men and the actors respected the real life, you know, counterparts that they portrayed and told a really effective story that, you know, really sticks with you when you're done watching it. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, anything else you want to add? Um, I just want to point some performance wise, like John Leguizamo, who played Raymond Santana Sr. Um, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Like, I don't know if he, are you familiar with him? I, I do. I do yeah, a little bit of him. Yeah. I mean, he's a he's a really great comedian, but like, man, I thought what a great job. Yeah. He, he did can pull off movie. the drama pretty well. Oh no. Yeah. He was great. Niecy Nash. I mean, Niecy Nash, I was first introduced to her. And Reno 911, like that's my <laughs> like, like that's the, that that, and to see her to go from that to this is like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Like she is such a phenomenal actress. She did such a great job in this film. And actually, I rec- I didn't realize that she was also in Selma too. She she had a brief, very brief role in Selma. Oh, I didn't when even they recognize. go, um, when Dr. King and them are going to eat. At some, they go to somebody's house and eat. She's the lady who's in the house who's cooking oh, breakfast right, for everybody. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jarrell Jerome as Corey Wise, he was incredible. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, I think we've said. I've, at least for me, I've said yeah. everything I can say. I, I do think she did a great job in this as well as she did in Selma, um, with like really setting the atmosphere. Like, because this is all this like the whole first episode is a period piece like yep. you you know you know you had to get clothing you got to get like even to the cars like everything has to be themed for 1989 and right. once again like you know i didn't feel like i was pulled out of the film at all and nope. at one point at one point during these four four almost five hours like i was not pulled out at all i and i, and I agree with that you know it's definitely I, I like i said i i, I think i it was a lot for me. It was just a lot of moments I weren't, I wasn't expecting, and therefore I was, I guess, in other words, entertained or just enthralled with the story of like, okay, what's going to happen next? I, I didn't know. I thought this was going to be an investigative story that turned very quickly. That you know, from the investigation to uh, you know them interrogating them, and like it was slowly building to that. And even at the end of the first episode, you know, all the like, um, like kind of like being told this story. And then they're all put in the same room together and they're like, oh, are, are you, 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 you're, you're Kevin. Oh, you're Yusuf. Hey, sorry, man. I, I kind of ratted on you. He's like, yeah, I did the same thing. Like, and, yeah, I lied on you too. <laughs> yeah. And like, they all knew that they were innocent because of the story that they were being told. Like all four yeah. of them knew, like, 
you were you were all put in the situation just like me, weren't you? And so and like just the way that the story was told is like, yeah, you were never pulled out of it at whatsoever. I think another uh, big performance uh, that I want to add is uh, Michael Williams, who played um, Bobby McRae, the father of uh, Antron. Oh, yeah. We just saw him in Lovecraft Country. We did. Yeah. I thought he did an incredible job. Even again, the first episode where he's telling his son, like, you just need to you need to tell the police what they want to hear. And I'm sure that was a decision as, you know, as a father that he regrets for him saying, oh, that. yeah, you know, because that got, obviously got him into even more trouble just to admitting to those crimes and on camera and then signing for it. He's like, whatever you need to do, gets to get just to get you home. Like to say what they need to say so you can be home. Um, yeah, uh, it was. Fear, you, it shows. It really shows that the fear that they lived with during that time was real. Like, yeah. Like if they want, if they want it to be you, they they will make it you. And obviously that is the case because that's as we saw the events of the movie play out. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, again, truly heartbreaking, but definitely, you know, I feel like it's necessary viewing. And, you know, that definitely opens your eyes to a lot more than what, you know, more than what it seems to kind of play out. I really think you should watch um, their 13th, her 13th. The, the one the, the documentary centering on the 13th Amendment. It if more than anything, like it's on the same I think I feel it's on the same level as this, especially since now that you've just watched this, you're kind of like in the know of that information, like kind of mm-hmm. in her mindset. Right. Like perfect. It is. It is most definitely the perfect time to watch it. Like I'm. I'm also thinking. I might rewatch it as well because I yes. haven't seen it since. It, I haven't seen it since it dropped. Especially since like you got to see that the whole story play out around it. Now, like we're gonna take one part of that story and show you even more about it. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So this show, uh, would eventually receive a record number of uh nominations at the emmy awards for writing directing acting cinematography sound mixing and even for best limited series the show would only win two emmy awards though uh for best outstanding outstanding let me let me restart that for best outstanding cast and it also won for best lead actor for gerald jerome for playing Corey wise so he won he won for that well deserved well well Absolutely. I, I felt like that based on I don't know what else was nominated uh, at that year's Emmys, but I want to see what it was up against, because after looking at this, I'm like, this should have swept and yeah. not and not just won two awards. So I agree. So uh, so now we're kind of all caught up with her current work. So now we're going to briefly tell you guys what she has lined up because, you know, she has. Uh, and she, you know, I feel like she's never not busy, Ernesto. She has quite a bit lined up. So uh, Ava DuVernay is currently filming and directing her next film called DMZ that focuses on the civil war that breaks out in a futuristic America and Manhattan becomes a de- uh, demilitarized zone. So mm. a, a civil war, a, fut- uh, a civil war breaking out in a futist, uh, fru- uh Futuristic America seems seems very close to what's more or less what's happening right now. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure she's taking a lot of cues from our current state at the moment. Uh, other it's film. List, it, it's listed as a TV movie. So do you think these are Netflix projects? It could be. Absolutely. Hmm. I mean, it, it could be. I don't know what 
these could uh i think yeah i think they could be somewhere on a streaming service and especially with her relationship with netflix i wouldn't put it too far off i, I can also see it maybe going into the oprah winfrey network as well um but yeah um other films that she has in the work she's writing and directing a film called the new gods uh the featured film is based on the comic the dc comic book series the new gods um i remember her uh getting this i remember the announcement when this came out and I believe she will be the first black woman to uh, take on a, 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 a comic book uh, going to the, to the first black woman to direct a comic book movie uh, yeah. with, with with this film. Um, other film that it's in development called Battle or Versailles, Ver, Versailles, 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 yeah, Battle um, Versailles, Battle Versailles. Uh, the story uh, of the 1973 Palace of Versailles fashion show uh, where top fashion designers are faced off against a uh, top French designers are faced off against American newcomers. So that seems a little bit different from what she's used to. Um, I don't know if she's yeah. writing this, but she's definitely directing. So the, the first two I kind of see and then the next one's like, oh, OK, I didn't know this. This one says it's based on a book by Robin Givhan. But she's right. She has writing credit on it as okay. well. Okay, if she's writing it, I'm all for it. Like if she's if she's doing that writing uh, directing combo, I'm all for that. Um, let's see. The uh, another film is called Castle, with that that dives into the unspoken system that has shaped America and chronicles how lives today are defined by the hierarchy of human divisions. So there's another that, and then she's not done with documentaries. She's also directing. She's also working on another documentary. Of the late great, I believe, Nipsey Hussle, who is an American oh. rapper, activist, and entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not huge on his work, but I've heard the name. Yeah, so she's definitely working. She's not done what she's doing. She's so she's busy. She's definitely got a lot of things coming up, and I can't wait to see it, especially covering her, uh, kind of covering her filmography. Like, I, I am interested to see what else she has in store, especially when she's putting that director writing. If she's in, if she's fully in charge of it, I'm 100 percent on board. I would love to see what else she comes up with, you know, uh, especially since, you know, how things worked out with A Wrinkle in Time. If she's not writing it and she's just and she's just directing it, I will still, you know, be interested in seeing it. But maybe my reserve is a little low because somebody else has the writing credits. I don't know who has more control, but. If she's if she's like has full control of it, I I think it would be something amazing. Yeah, I think it's gonna be good. We'll see. Yes, um, but that's it. That is our creator spotlight on Ava DuVernay. Uh, Ernesto, you picked a good one for sure. She's You're definitely. Welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and if you want, you know, and we do a lot of these throughout the year. Uh, so if you if you want. To us to cover, uh, you know, a uh, creator, a uh, director, you know, give us, you know, shoot us an email at boxofficebingers at gmail.com or hit us up on our Instagram page at boxoffice underscore bingers. We would love to hear your recommendations on other directors that we can maybe feature in this character spotlight, creator spotlight, because we have a lot of fun of these because we learn a lot about these directors. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like I feel like we really get to appreciate them more as a creative and you can see you can almost see like the correlation between their work and like like oh like they're kind of telling the same message throughout their throughout the all these different movies like yeah like you're getting a little bit of the message here a little bit of the message here but it's 
it the theming is more or less the same. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. And, th- and we kind of see that that trend with all the other ones we've done so far. And so, like, even if you want more creator spotlights, maybe this was the first one you started listening to. We've done uh, a couple of episodes we go uh, ago. We did uh, Jordan, Sophia, Peele. Jordan Peele. Um, we did Christopher Nolan. We did Ryan Coogler. We've done uh, Sophia uh, Coppola. Sophia Coppola. And so we've done a few of these now, and I think each one of them we learned something. In, uh, I at least I've learned, and I'm sure Ernesto you have as well. Uh, you know, just learn more about this creator and getting more appreciation for the filmmaking process in general. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So I hope you guys liked it. More is definitely to come. If we want more, uh, you know, more of these, just hit us up, and we'll love to hear your recommendations, and we'll just continue doing these. Um, if you and want more, and if you more, don't, and if you don't, if you don't like them. Oh, well, because we're going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you can tune into our other episodes that <laughs> where we go over the news, we go over what we're watching, and our spoiler review of the week. <laughs> we yeah. That's our normal episode. But sometimes we like to switch things up a bit, and we just go down a, lo- a person's line of work. And that's you know that's how we keep this, this, this series, this podcast, fresh. And we like them, so they're definitely not going away. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, as always, if you want more from us, you can always go over to our Instagram page at box office underscore Avengers. Uh, you will not be disappointed when you enter that page. I hope you enjoyed this creator spotlight on Ava DuVernay. Uh, I've been your host, Matt Diaz. I've been your host, Ernesto Santos. See ya. <laughs>